Good evening and welcome to our Thursday night class. Tonight is Thursday night, October 21st, 2021. Tonight we pay tribute to Rabbi Dr. Mordechai Glick, Zecher Tzadok Livracha, a blessed memory, passed away early yesterday morning. Many of us had the privilege to know him, some of us for a number of years, others of us for many years, and some of us perhaps did not know him. But I'd like to share a number of insights to pay tribute to Rabbi Glick this evening. A man once came to the Magad of Mezrich, one of the great early Hasidic masters, and he said, Magad, tell me, how can a person truly fulfill what our rabbis tell us, that we are required to thank God for the bad, just as we thank God for the good? A passage in the Talmud, Mesech Brachos. How can a person truly fulfill that? The Magid said to this man, you know, I really haven't suffered in my life. I haven't been tested in this way. And so I really can't answer you. You need to go to someone who has suffered, who has endured difficulty, and they'll be able to answer your question. Go to Rebzusha. Rebzusha has led a miserable life of poverty, of sickness, of persecution. Ask him how it's possible to bless God for the bad just as we bless God for the good. The man went to Rebzusha, told him that the Magid had sent him, and he asked his question. And Rebzusha said to him, I don't know. I've never been tested. I've never suffered. Find someone who has suffered, who has been tested, and perhaps they will be able to answer your question. Marcy and I had the privilege to visit Rabbi Mordechai and Nina Glick last week, just days before he passed away. I will forever treasure the opportunity I had near the end of his life to tell Mordechai how much I love him, how much I have learned from him. It was painful to see him suffering, ravaged by disease, with difficulty breathing, difficulty speaking. And Mordechai said to me, I am blessed. He said to me, of all the problems I might have, this is not so bad. Mordechai's outlook on life mirrored that of David HaMelech, King David, who wrote the famous lines in Tehillim in Psalms. Hashem roi lo exor, God is my shepherd, 
there's nothing that I'm missing. God is the one who's taking care of me. He's looking after me. I'm not missing anything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil. Because you, God, you're with me. Mordechai knew God was with him. And Mordechai knew God loved him. And though objectively his life contained an inordinate amount of loss, tragedy, illness, and suffering, his life was also filled with joy and fulfillment. And Mordechai knew he was blessed. Hashem roi lo echsar. God was his shepherd, leading him, caring for him, worrying about him, and Mordechai did not lack anything. Mordechai was a leader in our community in Montreal for decades. He served and cared for the members of his congregation, Ahavas Israel. He served his patients as a therapist. And he served his students as a professor. Professionally, I learned so much from Mordechai. Among the Montreal rabbis, he was at the vanguard of numerous controversial topics on which he took courageous stands in the face of adversity and controversy and pushback. Mordechai taught us about the dangers of sexual predators, especially when they're dressed up in the disguise of a religious Jew. Mordechai taught us about the tragedy of domestic abuse, and specifically for rabbis, he shared how to recognize the signs of domestic abuse and how we could respond in a sensitive and helpful way. And often that response is counterintuitive and needs an expert to guide us in how to take that action. And Mordechai provided that expertise. Mordechai taught us and was himself a paragon of honesty, Torah business ethics, and so much more. I actually started learning from Mordechai before we met, before we came to Montreal. 25 years ago, I was listening to recordings Mordechai made on marriage. I didn't know who it was, but I was profoundly moved by the lectures and divrei Torah that I heard. Allow me to share the first Dvar Torah 
I learned from Mordechai. It's a Devar Torah that has influenced me since I shared it in 1996. Now, the Devar Torah that I want to share with you now is mine, but it is based primarily on a lecture I heard from Mordechai Glick. In just a few weeks in the Torah, we will read that Yaakov leaves home and is searching for a wife and finds Rachel, and they decide to marry. But Rachel's father, Lavan, tricks Yaakov and substitutes Rachel's sister Leah at the wedding ceremony. And the Torah tells us, And it was the next morning, Behold, Yaakov is married to Leah. And Yaakov says to Lavan, What did you do to me? I worked for you on the condition that I would be able to marry Rachel. We had an agreement that I was going to marry Rachel. Why did you trick me? Why did you fool me by substituting Leah instead of Rachel? Let me ask a question. Why didn't Yaakov simply divorce Leah and marry Rachel? It was a mistake. Actually, according to Jewish law, it may not have even been necessary to have a get, a divorce. It could have simply been annulled. It was a mekaktos. It was a marriage under false pretenses. It probably didn't even exist in accordance with Jewish law. Why didn't Yaakov do that? So what I want to share with you, which comes from Mordechai, is a yesod. It is a basic, fundamental principle. And if you will absorb this, it will change your life. One of the most serious social problems in the world, certainly in North America, in the wider community, and in the Jewish community as well, is the terribly high rate of divorce. And the rates are going up not only in the Jewish community, in the religious Jewish community, the rates are going up. Why? Now, you may not believe me when I say this, but I ask you to just hear me out. One of the main reasons for the precipitous rise in divorce today is because people try so hard to find the right person to marry. It sounds crazy, right? I know, it sounds crazy, but 
Allow me to explain. Many Jewish people have this notion of bashert. Bashert, it's meant to be. I have to find my bashert. If I find my bashert, I'll be happy. It'll work out. It'll all be good. And if it doesn't work out, it means I did not find my bashert, the one who was meant for me. That is tragically false. It is a misunderstanding of a passage in the Talmud. What the Talmud actually means we'll leave for another time. But let me demonstrate the falseness of that proposition. Take this scenario. Imagine in your mind for a moment a recently engaged bride. Akala. And you ask this young woman, tell me, why did you decide to marry this person, this chasan, this groom, this young man? Well, you might hear something like, well, I love him. He's the right one for me. We fit together. Now, if you press for details, but, okay, you love him, but what about him do you love? Well, you may hear a list. You may hear he has wonderful personality traits. He's an altruistic person. He's idealistic. He has a good sense of humor. He's handsome. A long list. But what happens when those factors change? What happens when he gains a little weight and loses a little hair and is no longer so attractive? And then when things go badly at work, he comes home depressed. in an ill humor. Well, what happens is there's a crisis. This is not the person I married. And it's true. It's not. Because there is a reality. People change. A person is allowed to change. Change is part of nature. It's part of human nature. Our emphasis on trying to find the right person to marry, and we investigate the background, and we analyze, are we suitable? Do we have a similar outlook? Does this person have the qualities that I'm looking for? Are we compatible? That approach is largely mistaken because even if you know every detail, it won't help because in five years or maybe in five weeks, 
you will not be the same person and he will not be the same person. What makes a marriage work is not finding the right person. What makes a marriage work is being the right person. Marriage is difficult. It's hard work. We need to say that loudly and we need to say that often because many young couples think at their first inevitable serious problem that they failed. I thought I found the right one, but I made a mistake. It's not the right one. The marriage is over. For a marriage to be solid, to lead to intimacy, it can't be held together by love. It requires commitment. Commitment to compromise. Commitment to realizing the other person sees things differently than I see them and feels differently than I feel and has different fears and different dreams. It requires the commitment to work on a problem. And this is very hard to accept. Even when a couple goes to therapy, they usually don't go for therapy. Usually, a couple goes to therapy because each of them wants an objective third party to be able to tell the other one that they're wrong. And they both really believe this. Yes, of course, the details are important and there should be compatibility and there are things that a person should look for. And of course, in a situation where there is, God forbid, abuse, that cannot be tolerated at all. That's not what I'm talking about. Choosing carefully is important. It does have its place. But none of that is sufficient to assure a happy marriage. And the details that we should be looking for are evidence of commitment to compromise, to work through problems, to recognize the value of another. Yaakov got messed up on the details. But he realized that is not what makes an enriched marriage. And what happened to Yaakov is only a more dramatic version of what happens to every single one of us. The person we marry is not the person we wake up with. If not the next day, then inevitably somewhere down the line. So Yaakov did not marry the right person. It was Leah instead.
But Yaakov devoted himself to being the right person for Leah. And it requires work. It requires hard work. It requires constant striving. Mordechai told this story. There was a young couple who was engaged. They were about to get married. And they decided to go to their Rebbe, to their rabbi, to get advice on how to be able to have a strong, solid, loving marriage. The rabbi said, I'd like to speak to each of you separately, individually. First, the chassan, the young man, went in to the study. And the rabbi said to him, you have 90% of the burden to make sure that the marriage succeeds. Your wife will have 10%, but you are 90% responsible that it should work out okay. The young man thought to himself, it didn't really seem fair. I mean, maybe it should be 50-50. But the rabbi said so. So he said, fine. Okay, I accept. He goes out, sits in the hallway. The kala comes in. The young woman comes in. She sits down with the rabbi. When she comes out a few minutes later, he asks her, the young man asks her, what did the rabbi say to you? And she says, I don't believe it. He said to me that I have 90% of the burden of making sure that things work out. You only have 10% of the burden. But that's the reality. And that is the only way marriage will work. Mordechai did not just teach that. He and Nina lived it. We at Adat had the privilege to host Mordechai and Nina several times as they presented together weekend marriage seminars, as they did for hundreds of audiences across North America. And Marcy and I had the privilege countless times to have Mordechai and Nina in our home and to watch them interact. Even in his last days, Mordechai would continuously say to Nina, we know her as Nina, but Mordechai usually called her Devora. Devora, I love you so much. You are so beautiful. I am so blessed to be married to you. I must have heard Mordechai say that myself 75 times, 100 times. Nina heard it thousands of times. Now, I want to say this with all of the honesty that I can muster. I do not remotely begin to live up to this. But this teaching of Mordechai's 
transformed my life. It ennobled my life in a way that never would have happened had I not heard Mordechai say it and seen Mordechai act it. And what it did for me, it did for thousands and thousands of others who heard it as well. Another profound influence Mordechai had for me and on so many others relates to prayer. Mordechai prayed with an intensity, with an exuberance, totally unselfconscious, relating directly, intimately with God. I had the privilege many times to pray beside Mordechai. And each time I felt both the inadequacy of my own prayer and the profound inspiration of his prayer. One of the most moving events in my life occurred in 2007. Mordechai and Nina's daughter, Nama, is profoundly affected by cerebral palsy since childhood. In 2007, Nama was diagnosed with breast cancer and she was about to undergo surgery. Mordechai arranged a night of prayer at his synagogue which was then on Park Haven. Perhaps some of you were there. Listen, please, to the wording of the email that he sent announcing this evening of prayer. He wrote, One of the most amazing things about my daughter, Nama Bracha Glick, is that despite her very significant handicaps, she has an amazing impact on the lives of almost everyone she interacts with. Somehow, though it looks like she takes much from others, she's dependent on others for virtually all of her care, most people who know her are very aware that they take from her much more than they could ever possibly give to her. I want to just personally say I've had the privilege to recognize the truth of that statement. People often begin their relationship with Nama with what appears to be an act of chesed, kindness and compassion. Maybe they're her counselor. Maybe they go to volunteer to visit her. Chesed motivation quickly evaporates, however, as people very quickly realize that their investment of time and effort pales in significance compared to the enormous love and joy that they receive from Nama. Nama now needs our help, he wrote in 2007. She needs our prayers. 
And therefore I am beseeching you to join a prayer gathering that will take place at Congregation Ahavat Yisrael. I was there that evening. Perhaps some of you were there as well. The intensity of those prayers led by Mordechai was unlike anything I have ever experienced. We were beseeching God through Mordechai and God was listening. And this was a natural expression of Mordechai's connection to prayer throughout his life. Allow me to share another story. This one from about the year 2005. I've shared this story with some of you before. So the first part of this story is more well-known, and you very well may know about this. It was public in 2005. Mordechai and Nina have a daughter and son-in-law in Rochester, New York. The son-in-law's name is Dr. Baruch Eisenberg. At the time... He was 44 years old, and they have seven children. On a Sunday morning in May, Baruch collapsed and stopped breathing. By the time I managed to reach Mordechai that afternoon, he was in his car driving to Rochester. He told me it didn't look good. He understood from the doctors that his son-in-law was brain dead. People in different parts of the world gathered to pour out their hearts in prayer in Rochester, in Jerusalem, in Montreal, including at Adath. That was Sunday. On Wednesday, Baruch walked out of intensive care into a regular hospital room. Within two weeks, he was at home, fully recovered. It was an absolute, inexplicable, open miracle. A couple of weeks after this, I was speaking to Mordechai. We were talking about the power of prayer. And he said to me, do you know what the most remarkable thing is? Now, I never would have thought to ask him what the most remarkable thing is, because it is pretty obvious that the most remarkable thing is that Baruch recovered from virtually certain death. But that's not what Mordechai said. And what he said is so amazing, 
I asked his permission to tell this story, and this is what he told me. He told me Baruch has a neighbor in Rochester, a Jewish man, very secular, so much so that this man scoffs at religion, but they're friends. A few days after Baruch came home from the hospital, he was taking a walk outside, and this neighbor says to him, I know why you got better. Which is a really strange thing to say, considering that no one else has any idea why Baruch got better. On that Sunday night, his doctors gave him a 5% chance of surviving the night. But this secular Jewish neighbor says, I know why you got better. Because, he says... I prayed for you. <laughs> and God was so shocked that I, of all people, would be praying. He had to do something. So Mordecai said to me, the most remarkable aspect of this whole story is the way it drew people closer to God through prayer. I learned, he said, that prayer, especially when shared by many people, can bring miracles even when God chooses not to grant our wish. That is what Mordechai taught. And that is what Mordechai lived. He drew countless people closer to God through prayer and through Torah and through kindness and through integrity. I am heartbroken at the loss of perhaps my closest friend. I am bereft of perhaps my most impactful teacher and mentor. And I am blessed beyond words for having Mordechai in my life. Rabbi Dr. Mordechai Glick, his legacy blesses and enriches his beautiful family and everyone privileged to dwell in the comfort of his shade. My friends, thank you very, very much for joining this evening. I wish you a good evening.
a beautiful and joyous Shabbos. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.